to At the Devil's Ball, where we talk about horror in a positive and destructive manner. I'm Samuel Numine. Thank you for joining us. And uh, with me, as always, is my co-host and founder of The Feast, Nathaniel Johnson. How are you doing tonight, man? Good. It's been a, it's Good. Been a, long, a long emotional week. Right. Um, and I'll tell you, I got, I got really close to actually almost calling this off because yeah. uh, it's been such a... I mean, if you're following the news... Uh, I don't want to get, yeah, how can you not? Right. Yeah, I don't want to get too into it, but, um, but you know, uh, it's been a, a, so emotionally devastating week, I think, um, you know, ranging from, you know, heartbreak to like fiery, uncontrollable rage. Right. Um, yeah. That situation in Texas keeps getting worse seemingly by the day. Uh, and the news just keeps getting worse. Uh, but I will tell you, it was, it was, uh, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to focus on the film and I put it mm -hmm. on and I actually found um, one of the things that I think like why we do this, I think kind of really, uh, really hit me where I was like how cathartic it was to, to delve into something that was pure fantasy. Right. Um, that, you know, even though there's a lot of tragedy in our movie this week uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and everything, but it's still, it's fiction. Uh, and so deep diving in the movie was actually really cathartic. And I think that's just like the power of this genre. Genre, yeah. yeah. It's, a, and, it's a respite from, you know, the real horror of the real world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. you know, always finds new ways to upset you and, you know, catch you off guard. And, yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, horror horror and horror related stuff is, you know, a safe way to, to feel things. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's been a fucking week that's for sure yeah. um obviously we're talking about this the shooting in uh texas which yeah. Yeah. is just beyond disgusting and beyond terrible and, mm -hmm. you know yeah uh, i did want to mention before we jump into uh into anything as again i mm -hmm. don't want to get too into the into the shooting we we right. do, we do uh, i i specifically do too much speechifying on the show as it is but uh it, there are uh resources that if you want to donate uh, out there right um you, gofundme has the whole list of uh every single victim's families has one uh they've all been funded but you yeah. can still you can still uh give also um again the red cross uh, has stated they have enough blood to deal with what they're going through right now uh but you can always give more um, yeah. giving blood is always a useful way to to uh to help if you're able um so those are those, those resources are there so um, if you want to do something, I think the best thing we can do right now is stay angry and vote um, in November. Right. Uh, and and, and bums out. If you've got, uh, you know, a congressperson or, or a senator who's, you know, maybe reachable, maybe, you know, reach out to them and, and say, you know, hey, this needs to stop. Um, a lot of them aren't reachable. A lot of them are owned by, you know, the gun lobby or... You can you just can by call. the fear of the gun lobby, you know. Yeah, you can you can call them. They, right. they all have they all have public access numbers, but uh, you know they may or may not care. But right. I know Maine in particular, and I know I've got some view, uh, listenership in Maine because friends of mine listen to the show. But mm -hmm. I'm like, vote against Susan fucking Collins. Right. Get rid of that monster. Um, but uh, Angus King seems to be okay. But if he runs for re-election, he's getting old. But uh we need to but Maine definitely needs to get rid of susan collins oh for sure uh, yeah and uh but yeah she's been a disaster for this country yeah yeah 
that's so many different ways. That's Maine's legacy. But speaking of Maine's other legacy, yes, Stephen King. What are we watching? What are we doing this week? We haven't even mentioned. We're we're doing uh, 1979 Salem Lot, Salem's Lot, uh, rounding out our uh, month long look back at a a century of vampire films with, uh, uh, well, a TV movie, (laughs) but but another look at a at a Nosferatu style of vampire. So it kind of wraps it up nicely i think um in a in a totally different sort of vampire film but also one that harkens back to nosferatu with the fact of you know this is played out more like a like a plague than anything else Mm -hmm. um so before we get into it you want to do the vital stats and we'll just sure sure uh the the movie the movie will almost certainly be aired on joe bob Briggs next week Um, right (laughs) that's been that's been our thing we were actually we're gonna we were Talking about actually doing uh, both Nosferatu's. Both Nosferatu's. We were going to do uh, uh, Werner Herzog's. Uh, and right. then Joe Bob did it last week. And we were like, yeah, we're not doing that now. Uh, right. And then, of course, this uh, uh, last this week night, we did Tenebrae. The Tenebrae, which we did yep. uh, uh, a month ago. So it's sort of like, well, okay, we're apparently all we're on the same. And it, this hasn't been the same time. This hasn't been the only time that they've, they've done movies that we've recently done either. So it's just it's just funny and no, and, actually uh, and confusing. You know, you know, in in June we'll be talking a little bit about Spookies again, and that was right. the one that I think like yeah. we did we did Spookies, and then like like three weeks later he did it on the show. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the vital stats. Uh, so Salem's Lot, 1979, uh, obviously originally based on a novel by Stephen King. It was actually his second book. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, it would uh, later be made into a miniseries in 2004. We'll, uh, that might get touched on a little bit. But uh, this one specifically uh, uh, aired in 1979. Uh, I don't actually have the information as to where. Um, I'm sure Sam knows. He usually has those little factoids. Do you know that? Uh, no, not. No, no okay. All right, well. Um, I, I, I'm bad at vitals, um, but, uh, we've got, uh, but it was made in 1979. Uh, it was originally a two-parter, uh, which is why it's three hours long. Uh, it was originally supposed to be two 90 minute, uh, uh, television airings, uh, over two nights. Uh, it was directed by Toby Hooper, uh, who was actually a replacement for George Romero. Um, Romero was originally asked to do the film. Uh, when he found out it was going to be a TV movie, he bailed. Uh, didn't think he could tell the story the way he wanted to. Right. Oh, um, real quick, it was uh, CBS. It was CBS. aired on CBS. CBS, nineteen seventy nine. Um, it was uh, the screenplay was written by Paul Manash. Um, and then our cast is David Soul as mm-hmm. Ben Mears. We got Bonnie Bedelia as Susan Norton, James Mason as Richard Straker. We got Lance Kerwin, Mark Petrie. Uh, Lou Ayres is Jason Burke. Julie Cobb is Bonnie Sawyer. Alicia Cook Jr. is Gordon Weasel Phillips. Uh, George DeZunza is Cully Sawyer. Ed Flanders as Dr. Bill Norton, doing a lot of heavy lifting in this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, always great to see him. Always, yeah. Uh, we've got uh, Fred Willard, the late yes. Fred Willard, uh, as Larry Crockett. And uh, we've got Kenneth McMillan as Constable Parkins Gillespie. Uh, oh, and I wanted to, actually, I didn't mention Jeffrey Lewis. I, we do have to mention him. Jeffrey Lewis as uh, Mike Bryerson, another great character actor. Yeah, this uh, is chock-a-block full of like, good TV actors from, from back in the day. I mean, Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much that type of movie. Um, 
uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, these, these big name uh, in the, particularly in the seventies, uh, I think it was even, there was a mystery science theater episode of San Francisco international, right. Where they make a joke of like, you know, TV movie watering hole um, <laughs> where, you know, it's, it's like everybody was well known from 1970s television in that right. TV movie. Uh, that was of course a pilot, uh, but um, for a show, but this is mm-hmm. uh, just a mini series. But it's the same kind of principle. It's like, you know, we just went out and hired everybody who was kind of uh, well-known from television to come be on right. this TV show. They, don't hi- they didn't hire movie stars to do those back in the day. No. Um, they were too expensive. Yeah, and uh, there, was a, there was that, you know, delineation between TV and, and film that, you know, film actors didn't want to do TV, you know. Yeah, and TV. They felt and like TV, it, right. They yeah, felt it beneath them, you know. Yeah, TV actors wanted to get the movies. Mm-hmm. yeah like it was the step up yeah um that's somewhat different now when you see uh it always surprises me when i see like like with what disney plus is doing and like i'm like wait a minute you and mcgregor's doing television now like right. they're like well yeah we we made a 30 million dollar uh right. miniseries made for disney plus so yeah we've got him um the power of disney money yeah is to is to basically be like you know now we can get you know, we'll get movie stars to do these. And just, and just TV is more on par with film these days anyways. I yeah. Mean, um, yeah, I think you're right. Obviously, there's still the, you know, all the you know, cut and paste uh, investigation shows and, and, and sitcoms and stuff are still out there. But as far as like, you know, TV drama, it's it's become much more of a analog to, to, to film. Yeah. Just just longer versions of, of films. Yeah, we had like, yeah, Matt Wiener going to be like, I'm making a very long form film with like Mad Men. Right. You know, or HBO probably was really the big. Uh, yeah, HBO and Showtime. Uh, yeah, we're like the ones we're like, we're going to do big, uh, we're going to do these really big uh, movie like miniseries, right. TV series. And, and, and now cool. that's pretty much all prestige television is, is, is that now, which is great. Yeah. Um, I th- they're doing a remake of this, but I don't remember if it's a film or if it's a, if it's uh, a TV show. I know they talked head. about they talked about doing a, a Jerusalem's Lot um, TV show, but I think they kind of fell by the way, wayside. And now that's a it's a film. <laughs> uh, I, yes, uh, I believe it's a film. Uh, yeah, it's produced by James Wan. Because um, there was a there was like a prequel they they were going to try to do about um, about Barlow and and yeah. Straker. I think uh, at I one point wrote it down somewhere. I was reading up that there is a ser- uh, there's a series that is sort of uh, about Jerusalem's lot starring um, uh, uh, Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the name of it. I wrote it down somewhere, but it's not here in my notes. But um, but yeah, suppose. Yeah, so there's a couple of different versions maybe coming to this. Uh, yeah, well, no, it's already out. That's what I mean. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, I've got to, I'm going to look it up. But um, okay. But yeah, continue your uh, continue the intro. Um, that's essentially it for for the vitals. Uh, right, Chapel, so got... Chapelweight. Chapelweight. Okay, Chapelweight. Okay. Yeah, that's supposed to be based on Jerusalem's Lot. Okay. I knew uh, there was something. Yeah, Captain Charles Boone relocates his family to a successful home in small TP town of Creatures Corners. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, apparently supposed to be, I think, it's supposed to be based on Jerusalem's Lot, but it's not Jerusalem's right. Lot. Anyway. That's well, probably wherever he was at before he came to Jerusalem's Lot or, or whatever. Could be, um, yeah. This is a very Stephen King um, miniseries. This is a very Stephen King story um, where it's as as much or more about um, just the feel of the town and all the characters in the town than it is about, you know, the actual 
plot mechanics and the monster um, to the point where I think that actually this this film kind of drags in places because it's oh. so it's so into just showing um, what at the time was not um, a trope, but the the Stephen King sleepy sleepy small town. You know, mm-hmm. you could take almost any element from this from this movie and and put it into another Stephen King book. I mean, the, you know, oh, this this writer comes home to Maine um, after writing, you know, a, a successful novel or two to try to do another novel. Uh, oh, we have a school teacher. We have, you know, um, the strange old man uh, who's running an antique shop and, you know, all the all the townies who are interested in, in this strangers coming back. Yeah. And. I mean, I think I just described about half of Stephen King's novels in, in that short span. In some manner, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if you just had to change, you know, uh, Straker for Jason Robards and you'd have, you know, Needful Things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ostensibly. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. That, that's yeah, something, this... yeah, that's something that came up to me and uh, that came up to me with this almost immediately was I was like, oh, yeah, he, he t- totally kind of just did this again with Needful things right uh except without a vampire yeah it's that he's like some sort of devil or something yeah you know um yeah. we should cover sometime that's another clip, yeah uh, uh originally made for tv i think uh i just read this book for the first time this year because i i did a um i listened to a lot of audiobooks at work i think i've mentioned before mm-hmm. um so i did a reread of um, the dark tower series and all the immediately adjacent novels uh yeah. such as yeah. i was gonna say all the adjacent novels but that's literally like all of them if you, if yeah. you get far well, enough you, into the weeds you mean the core yeah yeah the, the core the core of this you know insomnia yeah. Yeah. right um salem's lot i listened to it for the first time um and it's it's not exactly my speed overall the book or the or the film uh because it is just such a slow methodical take but once once the plot starts, once the monster plot starts going, and you know about the third act, it, it kind of gets going, and it's it's an enjoyable ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you felt about the mini series as far as pacing wise. Um, oh, it's a mess. Yeah, yeah, the pacing is a mess in this movie for sure. Um, I mean, it's like it, what forty five minutes until there's actually like a vampire scene or a killing. Longer than that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. I mean, but it's it's more than that by the time Barlow shows up. Um, right. Uh, but no, it's um, yeah. I think our first actual vampire killing vampire bit is almost forty-two minutes in. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, a lot of it doesn't go anywhere. That's what I was noting. I was writing down. I'm like, so this domestic violence plot that's going somewhere, right? No, nope, no, nope. just nowhere. Uh, other than to put, other than to put a couple characters where they need to be. Yeah, it's, it's uh, more it, time it, flavor for the most part. Yeah, it has no actual purpose to the narrative. Um, it may have been cut. I don't know. The uh, I know this was original. This was recut, right? The theatrical version. Um, that was, but the you know the purists kind of killed that. I think now right. it, it's like but, it's sort of like uh, for a while this was the 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 cut version was the only kind you had because it yeah. was played in Europe and. Um, the the cut version was the one I believe that was in the uh, in the video stores, yeah. Up until recently, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably and maybe for the best. I don't know. I don't think I remember seeing. The... I know I've seen it because um, yeah. I have memories of being you know freaked out 
as anybody was if they saw this as a kid by the by the kids scratching at the window scene. Oh yeah, and it, we'll talk about which, that. Yeah, 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 it's a great. Um, scene, but yeah, but I don't remember how how differently it played because of you know all, all the stuff that was cut. You know, they cut half of it down. I mean, yeah, I, I got to imagine half of it had to be like you know, uh, the the uh, cheating plot, right. Uh, all that background about the and I'm like yeah surely this is going somewhere and it's not. Um, no. you know and um, in fact the two characters just sort of get up and leave town right um, and uh, and that's it we don't see them again um, whereas the book I think it was a, uh, I have never read the book I was going to mm. say to you before this but it's one of those books that I've I, I've never read it but I've read it right because I've heard like every aspect of this friggin novel uh, in some manner. Uh, I think actually when Father Callahan shows up at the Dark Tower, he basically recounts the whole stupid book anyway. Right. Um, you know, when he shows up and says, hi, I'm from another book. I'm going to tell you everything about <laughs> yeah. that book. Um, and uh, and then literally, uh, and then they, they kind of uh, jump the shark and then he goes, hey, wait, that's literally the book I'm in. Um, right. How do you have that? Um, I'm real, damn it. Uh, <laughs> man, the Dark Tower series falls apart. Um, it's real weird yeah but um but yeah and then it picks up at the last book but right. uh, uh, i actually do like the last book of the dark tower but uh, wolves of the Kala and uh, song of susanna right can fall into the ocean but um <laughs> but yeah the um that's a little bit harsh but uh but but uh anyway but yeah i mean we've got the uh in the book i from what I understand all of it's a little bit more relevant because he's trying to create and this movie wants to play with it a little bit but doesn't want to get mm -hmm. into it it never gets into it, despite the fact that it's three hours long, uh, about the idea that the town itself is sort of rotten. Right. And, and everybody's got a dark secret, and that's why Barlow chooses it, uh, is because everybody's kind of fundamentally kind of broken or evil in this town in some manner. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> including some really dark shit, like uh, uh, a young couple who, like, abuse a baby uh in the novel and shit like right. that like it's it's uh like salem's lot supposed to be a, a really horrible place and it's sort of like leaking out from the marsden house yeah and uh and you know because king uh at that point i don't think king could decide really what he wanted to do uh because it's only a second book right right and so um, he comes back later to do uh better versions of this this you know diseased town motif motif yeah yeah in fact maybe and then maybe some worse ones but um, right uh like we talked about um way way back uh we did um uh storm of the century right and, and kind of dropped the ball um but um it was uh but all of that so, so he can't quite decide if he wants to be like a ghost story about like the marsden house or if he wants a vampire story but he kind right. of just does both um and um and so the story, I feel like the the people that were supposed to be getting that from it, but all we really get is this this like uh, Ed and Nadine from Twin Peaks subplot that has nothing to do with anything, <laughs> right? Um, like it, it, the, a bad Ed and Nadine, yeah. yeah. Like you know, uh, you know, if, if Ed and Nadine were played by their counterparts in uh, People Under the Stairs, uh, right. we get uh, we get we get the Salem's Lot plot, um, uh, and um, and so I, I remember I wrote down a bunch of notes and like, sh and I, I, half of them literally say, surely this is going somewhere. Right, uh, right. Um, but no, I mean, once we get into, once you get past that, 
you do have a pretty decent story, um, you know, about Ben Mears uh, uh, and his fear of the house, obsession with the house. Um, in fact, I wrote down one of my, my favorite exchange in the whole movie mm-hmm. that leads to a transition that I absolutely love uh, is he's talking to, they, they found out the two boys are dead. Uh, the real estate guy's dead. Um, all of which uh, uh, Ben has connected back to the Marsden house. Right. Um, and he's talking to Susan, played by Bonnie Bedelia, um, who is probably the best actor in the whole piece. Um, maybe. Uh, but uh, he's talking to her and, he, and he's like, the house attracts evil men. And she says, but if it, the house attracts evil men, he, he finishes the sentence with, then why did it attract me? Right. Um, I was like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Surely that will be. No, no, that's not not important either, really. Um, But I'm like, it's a great line. But then it cuts immediately to Ben uh, to um, Mark Petrie's dad asking him why he's into horror. Right. Um, And I was like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. That's a fantastic jump. Um, And uh, and I feel like those scenes are like Toby Hooper kind of talking about like, you know, uh, we've talked a little bit about like, uh, like we did Argento and about how mm-hmm. a lot of those and came up with the kind of the theme of that. Those films are sort of reflective or, right. uh, or responsive to criticism. I almost feel like that's Toby Hooper, like talking to us about, or Stephen King himself talking to right. us about like the reaction they get from people. Why do you write about, why do you, why are you so in, in engaged with the dark stuff? Right. Um, and Mark Petrie's response is perfect. It's I just am. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about Mark Petrie in a little bit, I'm sure. But um, but I love that. But it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Uh, and that's kind of the motif of this entire thing is, well, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the the particularly with. And one of the things that I, I think I don't like about this movie is I don't think I like um, uh, David Soule mm-hmm. as Ben Mears in this. Um, and I don't think it's entirely his fault. Um, although I kept, I think I wrote down like what was Jan Michael Vincent this busy? Um, <laughs> but uh, right. uh, it's sort of like a dime store Jan Michael Vincent. And well, Jan, I mean, at the Jan time Michael, he was, he yeah, was popular from uh, Starsky and Hutch. I mean, yeah. so. Yeah, right. But um, uh, although Jan Michael Vincent is a dime store, Jan Michael Vincent, but that's true. Um, but yeah, the uh, it's it's fascinating because I think without it's one of those movies that I'm like, and I wrote it down. It's like the top note on this. I'm like, this is not a book. Mm-hmm. You can't have a character staring at a house and following the man coming out of the house uh without his internal narrative um yeah just displayed because all it does is make ben mears look like a complete lunatic yeah he's just he's just following this guy for no you know no reason no Uh, reason yeah he's just like i really like this house and he walks into the real estate office and he's like i need a i need a house to rent yeah they they barely even explain his fascination with the house you know and they kind of obliquely mentioned you know that he got scared there once as a kid but like yeah, an hour later book, right yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and well after i had written down are they going to explain you know that his his feelings on his house because i having you know finally read the novel i knew 
what they were yeah what the reason was and i'm like yeah. they're just not going to tell us are they it's oh okay. right, because it's right off the bat in the book i think like the opening yeah. of the book is he comes into town he sees the marsden house and then the book flashes back mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. childhood where he shows and i remember right. i've not i guess i've never read the book but i remember people telling me it's one of the scariest sequences king ever wrote um that the ben mirrors flashback but i'm like watch this movie like once again crotty robot uh you know from mr science theater I'm like <laughs> this is a motion picture can we get a flashback please <laughs> right um you know like and then when they do address it they just basically say it you know they don't show it or nothing and that's over just, beers yeah he's yeah. having a couple beers with his old old um old high school teacher and you're, like, you're waiting for that you know that old you know flashback effect the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do to come yeah. and it's like no it's just oh. he just casually right. i lost you I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, he's just having, he's just talking about it over beers with his old professor and he never actually, it doesn't show any flashback. It doesn't go right. uh, into why he's, why he's there. Um, it, just that he got scared there once and then he did, he got really obsessed with it. And uh, it doesn't convey the trauma. Anything but, really. No. And I'm like, you've got three hours. I mean, right. maybe instead of having this, uh, uh, you know, uh, confronting, you know, abusive husband confronts wife's lover with a shotgun stuff. Instead, right. could have done Ben Muir's <laughs> flashback. Um, yeah, but I really like that scene with the the shotgun. I mean, it's it's okay. I do well. First of all, it's got Fred Willard in it, so yes. it's boxers. So you know, sure. Oh, okay. The dog's just gonna start barking. Apparently, that's all right. Good. That's. But yeah, it's uh, it's, yeah, you got Fred Willard in his underwear, I suppose. But yeah, it, and uh, in a nice, nice shorts. Where'd you get them, yeah. Boston? <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, I guess the scene is fine, but I'm still like you. you but it's in the service of nothing. I mean, it's, it's just... service of nothing when you have a narrative that has a, a, a central character whose motivations are not sufficiently explained. Right. Um, that's where your te- your focus needs to go, uh, not on uh, not on the stuff that doesn't mean anything. Um, right. Because, like I said, all it really does is get um, is get Mike, the funeral guy. To go pick up Barlow's coffin, right? Um, uh, and and technically gets the real estate guy out in the open where he's killed in a freeze frame. Um, but uh, that's essentially <laughs> too- yeah, that's that's it. That's- and I'm like, you probably could have done that a lot quicker, and uh, and you probably could have just uh, uh, actually had a flashback to sufficiently right. explain Ben Mears. Um, and also, you have a character that's self-described as sort of a man of few words. Um, you know, his scenes, again, without internal narrative and about what was going on inside this guy's head, he kind of comes across really kind of creepy with mm-hmm. with Susan. Um, he's not, you know, he's not a particularly uh, likable leading man. No. Uh, in the film, anyway. I don't know. I think in the He's just kind of bland. I mean, he's just kind of there well i know in the book uh and in the 2004 miniseries they mm-hmm. they attempt to i think that ben mears is somewhat of a 
unlikable protagonist. Um, I think that they talk about uh, his relationship with Susan, where um, he like doesn't. He's thinking about. He's like, well, I'm. She, he's kind of thinking of her as just a fling mm-hmm. while he's in town, right? Um, and she's seeing him as like kind of like a future, and, uh, and so I mean that internal narrative is there to kind of give us the idea that maybe Ben Mears isn't exactly a great guy, but this movie is. Um, giving me really nothing to root for with this guy. And it's one of the things that I don't think works. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of, this film's kind of a, yeah, kind of a mess overall. Um, so where do we, what, what does work in this film? Um, obviously there's, you know, some creepy scenes. Yes. Um, Although, you know, every time I think back on Salem's Lot, I, like everyone else, remember the, the kid floating outside the window, but I sure. don't remember that they used that gag about half a dozen times yeah. in, in the film, which I think, you know, it steals a lot from it. Um, but the first time it happens, it's like, what what the what the frick, you know? Yeah. No, it's... <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, it's creepy as shit. Yeah, it's um, Yeah. But I think all the sequences with the vampire with the newly made vampires are pretty creepy uh, and work really well. Um, there's the scene where, uh, you know, the one vampire is sitting in a rocking chair just quietly. Uh, and all you see is, you know, his eyes glowing. Mm-hmm. He says, look at me, look at me. Yeah. Um, that's creepy shit right there. That's, uh, was it Jeffrey Lewis uh, in that scene? Uh, e- yes. Yep. Yeah, Jeffrey Lewis to uh, as Mike. Yeah, Mike, the uh, caretaker, the only actor in the movie attempting a main accent. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, that, you know, that was before they could get away with doing main accents in, in, in movies. I don't think, I don't know if anybody outside of Maine knew the main accent in 1979. Um, Maybe. Unless you're from New England. I know me being from, you know, middle America. Uh, um yeah, maybe. I mean, I, Stephen I, King was the person who had taught me about the main accent. So, yeah, yeah, you might be right. I mean, I know that you had, I think, Pepper, Pepperidge Farm members, right? Uh, right. Was already a thing, but that might be more New Hampshire um, or Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. But um, which the main accent sort of an off, uh, off, offshoot. Yeah, they're all kind of related. I mean, yeah, New England accent. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, Mike's the only, uh, Jeffrey Lewis is the only actor to even attempt one. Um, uh, which I think, which is impresses me because, it, which d- definitely impressed me. It wasn't a great main accent, but it impressed mm-hmm. me that he tried because I was like, oh, there's an actor who's actually, right, like interested in, and that's something he brought because yeah, obviously, obviously, you know, yeah, nobody, nobody told him to do that. I'm sure uh, that he was like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of a main accent in there because I'm an actor, um, right? You know, um, he does okay, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not. Although, I mean, the main accent now, if you went to Maine, you probably wouldn't hear a main accent anyway. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I know occasionally I, I might have a little bit of one, but uh, every so often when I say certain words, but uh, mm-hmm. it's dying anyway because of uh, actually most regional accents are dying anyway. Uh, yeah. Current, uh, current society because everybody's moving around. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's young people don't don't learn the accents anymore. They get out. No. Um, so 
but yeah, I mean, he's the only one that does. But Jeffrey Lewis is great in this movie. I think he does some really great understated work. Um, right. Uh, and he, um, I love the, uh, well, first of all, I mean, uh, his dog dies. And he gives a great uh, reaction to that, where he's deeply, deeply upset by it. Um, that most movies, I think that you'd have a, you know, a tough guy in, a, in overalls, you know, right. overalls, finds his de- de- dog dead probably just gets mad or something um, right in this movie no he's actually has a full-on breakdown yeah um which any pet owner could tell you is reality uh right you would actually be deeply deeply upset at the death of your, the death of your pet um but uh but yeah it's 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 and then he come he has the whole comes in with the beer and he's kind of mumbling about dreams right uh, by the way i love that the response to that is to give him whiskey uh, I'm like, is that a good idea? Uh, um, 70s medication. Yeah, you know? 70s medication. If a man's having a bad day, you feed him whiskey. Uh, right. And uh, and for no reason whatsoever, really, the uh, uh, the teacher brings him to his house. Right. Really kind of strange too. Instead of the hospital. Um, but guy clearly walks in looking like he's had a head injury. Right, but they're like, "Why don't you come back to my place?" Uh, and I'm like, "Because uh, I, I, my first response to anybody acting like that would be like, you hit your head.'" Right. I don't think there is a hospital that they could do at this town. I think there's probably like a town doctor, and he's well. We know they're off for the knife. I mean, we know there's a hospital. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they do. They do wind up in in the hospital. Well, yeah, Ben Ben goes in there after a couple getting, of times, getting the uh, quote. Brutal beatdown that leads right. to a, uh, that had just basically a band-aid on his head. Right. Uh, uh, I was like, "You got quite lucky. All your all your injuries were Hollywood injuries." So. Yeah, yeah. You're like, "Wow, you're quite a beating he gave you." Yeah, yeah. that one band-aid. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm like, "What is he? The Rock?" Uh, you know, in, in you know, I, it, it reminded me immediately of a, there was a, a bit in the uh, late '90s. I think it was actually no, it was early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Where the Rock was feuding with Hulk Hogan, who was coming from with his NWO gimmick, where he was right, and they like beat up the Rock. He gets to the put in the back of an ambulance. They run the ambulance over with a truck. And they look, <laughs> they look into the back of the ambulance. They're like, "Oh man, we've gone too far." And then the next night, the Rock shows up and he's got a bandaid on his head um, <laughs> to sell the injury. And I'm like, "He right. major car accident." So it immediately reminded me of that. We were like, "Wow, you sure got beat up." And it's like one one bandage on his right um yeah and i'm like he's like want to keep you in overnight for observation i'm like for what <laughs> yeah like the guy clearly was you know punching like glass joe in the opening give, of a punch out give him a whiskey and send him home yeah know? yeah he's like, look all i need is a whiskey and a band-aid right uh, but you're over you sure got beat up then uh by one of the least menacing uh, domestic abuse guys I've ever seen. Right. But uh, I guess they don't have to be menacing to terrorize people, but no, no. But he's not uh he doesn't inspire an awful lot of fear to me. No, and it's it's it, they give so much more time to the other, you know, domestic abuse situation that it it kind of kind of comes out of left field in this. Like, you know, they they yeah. mention that, you know, oh, she's dating this other guy, and they have a couple of scenes where he's like, you know, I'm really looking mad. on anger. Yeah, angrily looking on, but like then all of a sudden, like he just shows up and beats the beats the crap out of him, you know. Yeah. It's like where where did that come from? Oh, you know, I guess he is still 
still mad about that. Yeah. Well, they have the scene though. The the boarding house lady does tell him like, "Oh, by the way, he was here, right." Like talking about he wanted to beat you up. But I'm thinking, looking at those two actors, I'm like, I'd take David Soul on that. Yeah, that's you know, on the tail of the tape. I mean, like, I was like, you know, really, David Soul. Right. This guy, David Soul's pretty big in this movie. He's and in fact, he elbow he gives gives an elbow drop to Barlow that right knocks out the centuries old vampire. <laughs> right. Um, it's one of those things that made me laugh in this movie with mm-hmm. Arlo tries to sit up and he elbows him in the face. Yeah. And it, that's apparently enough to keep him down. Um, you know, he can turn. Well, there's in. a couple of funny points like that. Like, you know, like at the end when, you know, he's about to, to stake him and he tells the other kid, you know, not to look and he throws him across the room <laughs> like as hard as he can. Yeah. <laughs> smashes through a table right. yeah it's like okay that's a little little too much force there buddy yeah, yeah he's completely all tank he's all tooled up yeah right. um i mean it, it makes a certain amount of sense it's actually one of the moments that the the ending of this movie is actually probably one of the only times i actually like david soul because he's playing very panicked right um which you'd be oh yeah i think um you know he has no idea what he's really doing and whether or not he can really no. pull it off that he's just scrambling about and like kind of like doing what would I would do, which is just sort of running through things and like right. get, get there as fast as I possibly can and try to get this done uh, before something eats me. Right. Um, it's a very, it's, it's a, it's a very energetic performance, but it's, it's a little bit too little too late because David soul is so sedated. Right. That um, for him to suddenly kind of be like, now I'm going to be, the action star yeah achy and um and shaky and, and energetic and i'm kind of like where was that the whole rest of the movie but um other than like uh other than vaguely misogynistic uh like kind of teutonic uh statements to susan there's right. not a lot going on with ben mears you know uh, no he's just he's a little little shallow yeah yeah but um but yeah, the vampire stuff is good. Uh, it, it 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 works, like you said. Uh, they overuse uh, Ralphie Glick at the window a little bit too much, but they uh, but it works uh, the first time you watch it. And you're like, wow, that's a pretty, that's a really great image. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's eerie as fuck, you know, and real simply done. Um, they just you know shot it in reverse and had him sitting on like you know a crane. <laughs> and, yeah. Is that what they did? Did they digitally re- digitally remove it or? Was it wire work? It was. Uh, it was. He was sitting on a crane, but oh. I think they just had it. You know, um, I don't think they digitally removed it. I think they just had you know had it angled so it wasn't in the shot. Oh, okay. And then, because you could see his feet floating in the air. That's right. What I was wondering, like you know, um, I assumed it was wire work because it's brief too. Right. I was like, this actually might be brief enough to have this kid on a harness and then float him up there uh without doing any harm because it's it's so quick so brief right um but yeah i uh you know i know they they were capable of removing things at Mm -hmm. that time but uh you know not very well right and budget would be constrained yeah but uh well technology wasn't quite there yet uh nowadays you know it would just be a cgi shot but right um probably like even the kid would be cgi at this point yeah hopefully, sadly you know hopefully not i mean right um it's produced i guess we'll the, see yeah we'll see the re- i mean it's supposed to be it's produced by james wan and i know he tends to kind of do a little bit more practical 
Right. Uh, so maybe we'll have something, um, something good with that image. But, but yeah, I mean, it's um, it's absolutely the the scariest part of the film, and probably one of the scariest vampire scenes ever filmed. Uh, yeah. It's it's very very good. It's very jarring. Even as an adult, you know, I was watching it at work the other night, and I was like, "This is," and it was immediately like, "Holy shit!" Like I was watching that, being like, "That's right. That's actually scary." And I'm like in the wrong environment to actually be bothered by anything. Um, but uh, that that works, and the um, the hospital vampire thing is real creepy too. Um, it has its moments. Yeah, it's sort of undercut. Same thing with the uh, the other scene I was gonna I was thinking of. Um, it's kind of undercut by some silliness, but um, the hospital scene. Uh, first of all. Again, a thing that doesn't really work is I'm like, wait, Ben Mears is praying. Uh, mm. But I'm like, this might have worked if you would establish that he had no faith earlier in the film. Right. Um, instead, it's just like, okay, he's praying. Great. Um, with his popsicle stick cross. <laughs> right. Um, we're back to, you know, last week from Dust Till Dawn. Like, you know, all you have to do is put two sticks together. And, you, got and you know, it's also undercut because they didn't really play the, uh, the Father Callahan scene right either. Um, yeah. it, it could be read as, you know, he's just immune to, to faith the way it plays out instead of, you know, that his faith faltered, mm. um, which yeah. is how it, how it is in the book and how it was, you know, intended to be in the scene, but it, it's, it's played for, for, a, for a miniseries that likes to hit things on the head really hard. And at, at sometimes at other times it plays it so fast, so fast that you don't really know what they were going for mm-hmm. no so I, the whole faith so the whole faith thing is undercut i think because of that you know yeah. no i agree uh but the scene what what does it for me uh what kind of takes me out of that scene because it, it's a good good creepy scene where you know uh the woman sits up right uh and again we've got uh david uh, david soul actually doing fear right uh doing ra- rather well where he's like oh shit uh, I know what's coming. Um, you know, he's completely aware that mm. this woman's going to get up and try and kill him. When it happens, it's not, there's no preparation for that. You, you still like, oh my God, uh, right. I got to deal with this. What does it for me is they, when they kill her, uh, she fades away. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a fade out and, uh, and like uh, basically throw a little smoke bomb. Right, uh, a little wisp of smoke comes up, yeah, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Uh, you put one of the greatest horror filmmakers of all time in this film, and it's a fade out." Uh, right. I imagine Hooper must have been like throwing shit at people. I mean, like, Hooper must have been <laughs> uh, and now I know Hooper is is most famous for a film with no blood, right? But I'm like, give me some, give me some like green goop you know, yeah. coming out of her or, you know, it doesn't, they don't need to explode like from dust till dawn, but I'm like, you know, give me some sort of mark or burn or, right. uh, you know, Buffy did the uh, uh, $10,000 uh, poof effect mm-hmm. uh, with a cheap, with the kind of cheap uh, computer generated effect right. of them turning to dust. But I'm like, it, it's the only vampire death on screen yeah, and they can't, you know, do much for it. They just have they to kind of dreamily fade out. Yeah, she just kind of like gets assumed into B movie heaven. Right. And uh, <laughs> it's another mystery science theater quote. I'm, I'm yep. 
rolling Mr. Sinister quotes today, but uh, but yeah, she's uh, but yeah, it's literally like she just kind of gasps and disappears. And I'm like, you know, we could have had some melting. Uh, you know, the, the the witch in the Wizard of Oz died better than that. You know, uh, you know, we could have had her disappear under a sheet. Right. I, I think that was on purpose. I think they wanted to still kind of play the vampires as, you know, kind of ethereal and dreamy, but it just, it doesn't work. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, I, 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 cause I'm thinking about it, I'm like, look, I know this is TV in 1979, but right. uh, a little bit more with that. Um, but I'll tell you the scene that, uh, that I think is really great. Also really great, but it does undercut, as you mentioned it already with the father Callahan mm-hmm. thing, but the, they do the telekinetic shaking thing in the room. The people right. who are in the in the kitchen, uh, and all of a sudden they notice on the floor is a cape, right? And then he rises up out of the cape as if he's coming up out of a puddle. Uh, it's a great effect, yeah, it really, uh, is. and it's really effective. And then he bonks their heads together, <laughs> um, right? And stands there as the kid stands in the doorway yelling at him, like yeah. you know, just like uh, it, ah, it, I'm gonna kill you. Well, first of all, you don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. But yeah, it, it's just kind of like yeah, it's very three stooges like right. bunks their heads together. Um, thankfully, that's directly from the novel. I know so it's I, novel. yeah, and it was it was kind of goofy in the novel, but you know Stephen King, you know can describe you know cracking a skull well enough where it's effective. But here it's just like yeah, you bonk. Yep, there you go. Bonk. And then they have somebody, and then they have them say, "I think they're dead." Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at least they don't do a coconut sound. Um, right. But uh, might as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it works. How, how graphic can you make that scene for 1979 television? I get it, but it's just. It's, well, then why do it? Do something else. Right. Yeah. You do something else. You know? Yeah. Uh, have them bite them or, or, right. or throw them across or, the room. We'll buy that. Or, uh, or break their necks or something, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would cut away. Yeah. You just like do like a, a neck crunching sound and go, oh, you broke their neck. Yeah. Uh, cut back to cut back to, to Mark looking on in horror as right. we hear a, you know. And yeah. like, Especially since it's obviously, you know, a, a shot in reverse mm. thing, which makes it look, you know. Yeah. Even yeah. more goofy. Yeah. Um, It's one of those things. That, it's just another one of those choices that I'm kind of like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I, I think sometimes with adaptations you get people who are really interested in sticking to the source material maybe right. a little bit too much or choosing the wrong things and I think we've talked about this before yeah. uh, with adaptations where sometimes uh, when adapting something either they're too beholden to the concept or they're choosing that wrong thing where they're like you know in this case maybe right. it's like well in the book he smacks their heads together but the book makes that clear that he's doing that with super strength right? Uh, and he's going to cause major head trauma. And it's going to kill them. Uh, in this movie, it does it because it's a visual medium. You have that problem of, well, is this going to look silly? Right. Um, maybe we should do something else. Um, and, I, and the thing is that I tend to appreciate TV movies when they're done well, because they actually tend to make decisions based on limitation. Right. Um, and so I think like, you know, we just listed two or three easily off the top of our heads that you could have done to make that scene work better. Um, and it would have just been, okay, the choice to bunk their heads together may not translate. Right. What else do we do? 
Um, and well, like, well, we can't show anything too graphic on 1979 television. I'm like, well, then cut away. Mm-hmm. Um, you do it with, uh, you do it with every other death in this movie. Um, right. You know, when Ralphie Glick, the, uh, Ralphie Glick, the, the scene is great. And he comes in, but when he's about to bite him, he cuts away. Right. Um, they don't show it. They show it once. The second time they do show the, right. they show the bite, uh, but it's not graphic. Um, uh, in fact, this is a, another bloodless flip. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we get like, well, I think literally a single drop of blood, literally single right. drop of blood on the, on a blanket. Um, but they have, um, but so, I mean, I'm like, you, you could have done more with that. What I will say though, is that, like I said, the effect of Barlow coming up out of the floor, is awesome yeah it is an awesome awesome image and it's a great effect and uh, it's another one of those great effects that i'm like i'm not asking them i'm not asking in my head how they did it um i'm sure it's just a trap door but uh, right. it's uh it's a great effect that i'm like i buy that this this guy is coming up out of the floor i buy it um without it without hesitation and then bonk um and then like you said the callahan scene doesn't quite play it only plays if you know what's going on. Right. Um, if you're familiar with it, where you're like, okay, it's supposed to be the idea that his faith is not powerful enough. Yeah. Um, uh, to stop Barlow. Um, and um, especially weird because, you know, like, like we'd mentioned, you know, Callahan comes and plays a very large part in the dark tower series mm-hmm. later on mm-hmm. and going backwards, like, like, like I did, you know, from reading The Dark Tower to reading, you know, Salem's Lot and, you know, vague memories of the TV movie where I'm like, I'm like, you know, I didn't even remember that character was there. Um, It's it's kind of strange that, you know, he's kind of an almost a nothing character in this this story and then goes on to be, you know, huge. Yeah. And apparently, like, I I remember back in the, when the King released the fourth Dark Tower book, he even afterward like father callahan might, might show up and we were it was kind of like really why right yeah <laughs> but, what? Uh, why what yeah uh but yeah i mean in, in the book and in the canon overall it's the it's supposed to be the idea that his faith fails him barlow then forces his forces callahan to drink his blood which gives him essentially like the mark of cain and he has to right. like wander the earth he can't go into churches um and uh and the idea is that he becomes uh, an alcoholic uh, right. later on. He can't. He, he, he leaves behind the priesthood, and then when he ends up in uh, End World in uh, Dark right. Tower, he becomes. He manages to find his faith again, and has a big heroic death in uh, the last right. book. Um, spoiler alert! I guess a good, yeah, very good redemption arc for him. Yeah, you know? it's a good redemption arc. The, the it, it pays off in the Dark mm-hmm. Tower. Um, it just takes a seemingly agonizing long time to get there. But, uh, right. but yeah, it's, um, he's like, he's killed in like the first 40 pages of the last book too. Right. Um, but, uh, he has a great moment in that book, but, um, but yeah, I, unless you know that, that scene doesn't play. Uh, right. and in fact, Kellen had one previous scene before that. They never even really established him as being a thing. No. Um, he, he says the he's, they talk to him about getting crosses, and he's like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> right. Um, that was it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he doesn't really do anything in that scene. Um, 
it seems very much like an afterthought again to the point that I'm like, why use it? Right. Um, the, I hope they beef up the role in this new one. Maybe. Yeah, you know. they did in they did in the 2004. I know that. Okay. Uh, but um, but they don't do the same ending. Callahan. Um, right. Callahan just becomes a vampire in that version. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but the scene still plays the same way, but it's played by um, uh, James Cromwell, mm-hmm. a great character actor uh, who really does bring a lot to the role, but he's more, way more of a, a miserable bastard. Right. Um, that the failing of his faith is because he probably never had any to begin with. Um, uh, and the scene plays well in the sense that he, he's uh, in the 2004 version, he does play with, he's like, I, I actually do believe now um, I didn't before, but now I really do find that faith. And Barlow goes, yeah, you're, you're full of shit. And, right. and, uh, and he's like, Oh my God. And he panics uh, and right. he parked. Um, but, um, and in the book, it, it, it plays kind of similar to that because in the book, it, it works for a moment. Yes. His faith holds, holds for a moment, but just not, not long enough. It not fades enough. quickly. Yeah. But um, but no, I think you're right that I'm like that. The scene doesn't work very well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, this movie's taking a beating. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it sh- doesn't deserve to. Um, uh, we're we're focusing a little bit on the criticisms here. Um, but it's actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's it's um, especially for of the time, you know, and and the format. It's yeah. it's. An enjoyable time it's yeah it's got a lot of pacing problems but you know if you did you watch it all at once or did you break it up into i watched it okay because i watched it over two nights i watched the first half you know one night i watched the second half the the second night um kind of trying to replicate Mm -hmm. um how it was aired even though it's not a hundred percent sure where the where the mark of one stops and one begins is so right right um I just stopped at what was obviously a um, a point for that was maybe maybe for credits or maybe for a commercial break, and then watch it over the next night. And it plays a little better, I think, that way mm-hmm. um, than watching three hours of it at once. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking through my notes right now to find something good because um, I want to. I want to talk about. This. Yeah, I, wanna, I do. I, I, I think is, I like this. Movie. Yeah. We do um it just, it's just there's just a lot that doesn't work right and oh it could uh, be better here is a note from the callahan scene that i liked uh which was mm-hmm. um and we'll talk actually we'll, we'll, here's something positive in general so we've got um uh uh james mason right as straker um playing a very very good performance by james mason um it's a little unformed maybe the character doesn't have a lot right of- um, even though it's in this version, he's doing all the talking for the bad guy. Because in the book, Barlow's not Nosferatu. Right, he's Dracula. Yeah. Um, he's, he's chatty. And in fact, from what I've read, he's very chatty uh, yes. in the book. Um, to the point where they're kind of uh, almost, uh, it's almost a self-referential joke that he's talking so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, this is a man of few words. He's, he's doing everything, playing everything very menacingly. Um, uh, what I've read is that he uh, was the first choice to play the part. Right. Uh, they didn't think they could get him. He was a pretty big star. He um, apparently loved the script and, and fought really hard for the role. So they were like, that works out great. Um, right. 
but um, there's a lot of really good scenes of him playing things very casually, but also there's a delightful level of malevolence to him. Um, when he's talking to Fred Willard, mm-hmm. and Bedwood's like, "When are we going to meet Mr. Barlow?" And he's like, "Oh, you'll meet him soon. Right. I promise you, it will be like an unforgettable time." Um, All right. He's uh, and we know what's going on for the most you'll, part. You know what you'll like doing. Mr. Barlow. Mr. Barlow will like you. Yeah, Mr. Barlow will <laughs> like you very much. Um, uh, and uh, that uh, thing that a lot of Stephen King's do, uh, King, King villains do, which is that um, uh, barely restrained level of uh, of friendliness, right? Uh, you know that the the mockery of niceness. Uh, you know he's talking to. Uh, Mrs. Uh, to um, uh, I get everybody's names mixed up in this movie. Yeah, Petrie, Mrs. Petrie's like wants to mm-hmm. buy the object. She doesn't have enough money, and right. he's like, "Oh, well, I can hold on to it for you for a week." Um, you know, it's it's again, it's like there's a barely, it, it's right behind his eyes. It's an absolute yeah. dust of everybody around him. Right. Um, that uh, that he that he has that feeling of like anytime anybody's talking to him he'd rather be doing anything else um and um there's a great scene with um there's another great character uh that again kind of unfortunately kind of goes nowhere although he kind of becomes my favorite character at one point uh constable gillespie Mm -hmm. um at first he's like you're like what the hell this guy sucks uh and then he has some great moments like his questioning of straker is a great scene uh, yeah, where he's like, "Where's your suit? Where's your black suit?" And Strigger's like, "I know what you're here to talk to me about. Um, you know, you and I both know I killed that Glick kid, right? Um, you know, uh, and Gillespie's like, you know, kind of that Columbo. Uh, he's not as good at it though. No, like you know, poking at stuff and being like, oh, one more thing. Um, but, uh, I would say that I think my favorite, that he becomes my favorite character when he basically fucks off out of the movie. Right. He's like, I'm out of here. Gillespie just goes, I'm leaving. Uh, and Ben's like, you're what you're just leaving. And he's like, yes, you should too. Yeah. Here's a gun. Uh, I'm leaving. Um, and I think he does that in the book as well. Doesn't he? Yes. He just fucks off out of there. He He just says, I'm getting out of the story right now. Right. And he lives, right. He gets out. Yeah, I believe so. Um, not a hundred percent on that whether whether he gets caught leaving town or if he if he yeah. gets out entirely. I can't remember. But uh, I feel like a Stephen King story: cowards don't live. But uh, right. But I always, res- yeah, like like you said, I always respect when there's a character in the movie and he's like, you know what, I'm leaving. This I'm leaving. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just out <laughs> of here. Yeah. Right. Um, like this doesn't have nothing to do with me. I'm out. Um, I'm getting my, 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 my wife and kid and I'm leaving town. Um, and, uh, when questioned by it, by the main character, a little, it just says is unabashedly like, yes, I am a coward. Right. You should be too. Um, this town is fucked. I'm leaving. Um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great bit. Um, but, uh, it's a great scene too, of him and talking to Straker. And I was really impressed with it. Um, right. I always, it always tickles me in movies when cops are actually good cops. Um, because we know that doesn't happen. In right. Um. Uh. In fact, uh, it, it keeps becoming more and more apparent how much fiction that actually is. Right. Um. In fact, the most realistic thing that we've now found out that the most realistic thing a cop can do is run away. Get um, the hell out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
but yeah, in the, but it always tickles me in movies when there's a cop who actually is a, as a minor character because obviously we have super cops, right? But when I we have a small town constable who's actually like it, who starts off kind of being like maybe I'm kind of a dick and I'm not particularly good at anything, and then saying like actually he's not a bad constable, um, he it, but he's out of his depth, right? But he's actually not a bad cop at all. Um, and that's what that striker scene does, I think, is really just gives me the impression that this guy's probably a pretty good cop most of the time. Um, yeah. uh, but what he has to deal with is, uh, is much, this is way beyond him. Right. Uh, you know, uh, and in fact, his response to the death of um, Fred Willard's character is he's questioning Ben Mears and like Ben, and he's like, wait, you just, you heard two cars that I'm like, that's actually pretty reasonable, actually. Right. It was like, I was over there. <laughs> like, and the cops like, oh, you were over there. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, that's reasonable. That's <laughs> right. Reasonable. Um, but, uh, but yeah, then you find out that he's actually uh, following up where he's like, look, it's probably one of these three guys uh, right. who are out of town. Uh, it's not one of our people. It's one of these new guys. Uh, and he's right. He's just, yeah. he's just uh, he just thinks it's the wrong one. Um uh and uh but yeah i mean it's a it's a it's so those are a couple of good performances um i think uh, and i think straker is great in this mm-hmm. um james mason's pretty good in this uh yep. again you got some stuff that undercuts it uh but um straker's death is pretty unremarkable um right. to the point where i actually was kind of like why did it take six shots it, it would have almost been better if you just shot him in the head once <laughs> right like, <clears throat> i love the scene where um uh uh the doctor and ben mears are in the truck and they're like when well, ben mears is like what about what about uh striker what do we do with him he's like anything shoot him stab him doesn't matter right, yeah uh he's just a guy um we can kill him anyway that's not a big deal and that's uh, another scene that would be helped helped along if you had you know the you know ben mears's inner dialogue um over it because that's straight from the book where he shoots him a bunch of times and he does he doesn't go down right away and it's like oh well shit i'm you know Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, uh, I do like, um, and like I, we mentioned him earlier, uh, Ed Flanders, we talked about in mm-hmm. Exodus 3 as Father Dyer. Very, right. uh, very comforting presence, I think. There's something really uh, confident about him, um, mm-hmm. inspires confidence in the audience, I think. Even though he's a little, this character's, the whole movie has a little bit of, way too much um don't worry your pretty little head about it kind of yeah attitude. um you can't judge a movie for for being of its time um right. but uh this if this character um is telling his adult daughter's boyfriend how to behave <laughs> right and uh and is questioning uh what time his adult daughter comes home um i'm like wait a minute yeah 30 right like what are you right how much power do you have but uh it's a little bit of that um and the way everybody kind of kind of treats susan is a little bit like that um a lot of men having kind of having their way uh in this movie but um that's the only thing that bugs me about the character uh and in fact the scenes sometimes come off as charming especially when he's talking to ben about it Right. Um, they almost come off as charming, but I'm like, what are you questioning what time your your 30 year old daughter? <laughs> right. 
coming home from a date. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a little weird, but uh, I think he's great in this movie. Um, uh, an interesting, interesting choice. They made, they, they combined the character of the doctor mm-hmm. with Susan's father. Uh, Susan's father is not a thing in the book. Uh, right. He's there, but um, nothing really happens with him. The doctor is an entirely different character. Right. Uh, in the book and has uh, as another death that I've never read the book, but it sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the 2004 miniseries does it where he falls through a trap stairs and gets impaled on knives that are taped to the floor. Yeah. Something like that. It's, yeah. it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and I remember watching that in the 2004 miniseries and being like, wait, what? <laughs> um, booby trap. Uh, you couldn't just have him get eaten by vampires. There are vampires nope. around. Uh, you know that, right? Tons of them, yeah. Yeah, there's a thousand of them. Um, you know, anything else? They have. He's a better death in this movie. I actually do like his death scene in this movie. Uh, Straker picking him up and throwing him onto the antlers. Right. Uh, very Linnea Quigley <laughs> uh, in Silent Deadly Night. Right. Um, but I do like that death scene. Do you like that death scene? Yeah, it's it's it's. Um... Well, it's one of the only gory shots we get in the film. Um, so yeah. that's always fun. Um, and yeah, but it's, it's, it shows the power, the vampires, you know, actual strength and power. So that's, that works really well for it. Well, that was Straker. Oh, that's right. Straker. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Strakers, because Straker's like kind of superhuman as well. Yeah, they don't really establish in this. this in the film. Right. But outside of that, because he kind of picks it up, picks him up, and you know he's not going to do that in real life. Um, it's a fun death. Yeah, it is a very fun death, um, and uh, one of the very uh, one of the very few real deaths we get on screen. Right. Mentioned, uh, but um, but I think Ed Flan- and again, it's another scene that plays um, plays with the actual. The actor is not afraid to to be afraid. Right. Um, where he's clearly shitting himself. You know, he has no idea what he's mm-hmm. doing. Uh, what am I doing here right now? I don't know. Um, you know, and when Straker's coming at him, uh, his response is to sort of back away and yell, help me. Uh, right. Doesn't fight back. He doesn't run. Uh, he can't think of what to do. It's a, it's a really great performance by an actor. Yeah. Um, it's nothing without his performance either. Yeah. yeah. Because if you, any other actor, uh, most other actors would be too self-conscious. I think right. to want to play fear, uh, right. play panic. Um, that's women's stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Seventies. Um, so to have a, a a main character that uh, it shows fear but not panic necessarily, not mm-hmm. uh, not uh, he doesn't beg or anything. Right. No, no, uh, no. But he's yeah. terrified, right. um, and it's a great. It's just a great bit where. Uh, Ed Flanders does a lot of heavy lifting, I think, in the last half of this movie, mm. especially since they sidelined um, Matt the right. pretty quickly. Um, uh, he takes that role, um, which makes a little bit more sense because they make that Matt's an old man. Um, but yeah, right. uh, that character is underserved uh, too, I think. No, um, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, and I think the 2004 miniseries actually did a little bit more with him. It's one of the very few things I remember about the 2004 miniseries was uh, they had him played by Andre Bro- uh, Andre Brogner, right? 
so uh, he's a black man, a little younger. Um, and uh, they play him as gay, which is a really fascinating mm-hmm. aspect, um, which adds a whole other, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, Right, uh, adds a whole other aspect to uh, inviting Mike home. Um, yeah. You know, sure. it's something the the miniseries does that he's sort of attracted to Mike, who's mm-hmm. much younger and prettier in the 2004 version. Um, but they have the idea that he brings him home and that he's um, kind of like attracted to him. Uh, and then what they do is when Mike uh, tries to come after him, he actually revokes the invitation, which is something right. I've never seen done, I think, before or since, uh, which is no. book, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, I revoke your invitation, which is something that most vampire lore doesn't use, which is the, the vampire has to be invited in, but it, you can tell them to leave and they have to. Right. Um, which is very cool. And I actually didn't know that until I watched the 2004 miniseries. And then I looked it up and went, oh, yeah, that's actually yeah. a thing. Um, but nobody ever uses it. But, uh, but yeah, he revokes the invitation and that's what causes him to jump out the window. Um, right. He just sort of forces him out the window with a cross and then has a heart yeah. Um, the heart attack in the book happens later, mm-hmm. uh, but um, he's actually part of the vampire hunting in the uh, original version. But, right. <clears throat> but yeah, it's um, it's interesting character. I I looked, I look at this film as almost like because obviously the the idea was King was writing, wanted to write a modern Dracula. Right. Um, which is uh, what he said is what he was trying to do. Um, what what happened if Dracula showed up in, in modern times? And I think his right. wife joked he'd get hit by a cab. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he said, yeah, maybe in New York, but not in small town right. Maine. Um, and that's what he wanted to write. Uh, but it's funny to me, it's interesting to me that Dracula, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is sort of the story of uh, cavemen versus astronauts. Like right. the... the right ancient vampire can't deal with modern technology. This is actually almost the reverse. It's the vampire mm-hmm. can't deal with the lore. Right. Um, because I was looking at, when we were talking about this from, from Dust Till Dawn, about how it's sort of like mm-hmm. a, a modern interpretation of the uh, vampire hunter. Right. Um, this is very much, uh, you know, and how they're all talking about, we've, we've seen the movies, so we know how to deal with this. This is actually a character, Matt, in a, Matt is a character that says, mm-hmm. I read the books. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I have a pretty good idea what to do. Uh, and they all base everything off of fiction. Matt. Um, so it's interesting to me that, and of course, a writer would write that. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, old books, old books are the answer. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think? I've been talking. Yeah, I mean, it's, I really like the the, the character of, of Mike. Uh, it's really easy that a small that a child character or a, or a teenage character could be like you know annoying or whatever. But he, because they make him a horror kid, um, are you talking about Mark? Mark, yeah. yeah. Sorry, no. Matt, Matt, Matt's the professor. Right. Uh, Mark is the kid. Yeah. I, I think I actually called him Mike by accident. Yeah, <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of names. Yeah, Matt, Mike, Mark, Mark, Mike, Mark, Mark. but uh. It's it's an interesting way to bring you know the lore into it because like you said this is this is a move this is a movie where the movies exist, yes. which is you know kind of rare. Um, you know he's got he's got model kits of Dracula and the Wolfman and Frankenstein in his house yeah. and you know he's um, 
you know, a few years later, they would do, you know, the Monster Squad, which was, you know, an, an amped up version of, of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think the most fun parts of the movie for me are the beginning and the ending where it's, you know, they're kind of vampire hunters on the run um, as a, you know, epilogue to this film. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, they found us again, you know, and it gives it gives a little bit more of of the world mm-hmm. and i like that um i don't know i don't know what else to what else to really say about this one it's uh well i like yeah i like the character yeah. of of mark the kid um right uh and there are some great scenes with that that again aren't really aren't really played with that much they're there of like no. his father um like wanting to connect with him but not knowing how yeah um, you know, like he's generally delighted when his son's like, oh, I can get out of handcuffs. You want to see? I hear right. this off. And he's like, well, how about that? He's actually genuinely kind of delighted. But then he's like, yeah. well, that's normal, son. Um, right. You know, where he's like, and then, you know, after the Ralphie shows up at the window and Mark's in bed and his father says, you know, you're reeling out. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, are you okay? And, and, but his father doesn't come into the room. No. Comfort him. He doesn't come into like doing, he just kind of, do you need anything? Like he's like, I, I want to connect with you, but I have no idea how. Yeah, seventies um, dad syndrome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really it's some uh, it's some really really subtle character building stuff. It just again, it doesn't really go anywhere. Right. Um, I will say one of the things before we wrap up. One of the things that made me laugh out loud was um, uh, it's again, it's another really stupid, stupid thing. Uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, they they've killed, they've killed Barlow. Right. And they run out of the house, set fire to it. And he just says, Susan, oh, please forgive me, Susan. And I'm like, wait, right. did you just not bother to check? Right. Um, uh, Susan, last known whereabouts was the Marsden house. He doesn't yeah. go and look for her. Nope. Um, he doesn't. He just sets fire to the building and then remembers afterwards. Oh, shit. That's right. My girlfriend was in there. Right. Oh, that's now, huh? Um, well, good thing the uh, you know the the law enforcement has already left town, so he's not going to get in trouble for that. So. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it just made me. I'm like, wait a minute, does she not get? Because I know, I know that she gets. Um, in the story, she gets specifically mm-hmm. turned into a vampire by Barbara, right. um, and he stakes her, uh, yeah, killer, um, as part of the climax. Uh, right. So I'm like, wait a minute, does she not get killed in this? And then they're like, no, she shows up later um, right. in New Mexico two years later. And I'm like, wait, um, we could have done this earlier. Uh, <laughs> you know, you could have done this on your way to fight Barlow. Right. Um, uh, in fact, it made, which is, I think, is where it appears in the novel. Uh, mm, trying to remember. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, I believe something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's not. Yeah, Barlow does it tactically, I right. think, uh, in the book, um, where he specifically turns her just to just to fuck with Ben Mears. Right. Um, uh, but um, yeah, in this, he just doesn't bother to check. Uh, he just sets fire to the house. I will say, uh, I loved, um, and I wrote it down. I loved the interiors mm-hmm. of the Marsden house. I thought yeah, they looked beautiful. They looked great. Uh, some great camera work. Uh, mm-hmm. They set up that crane shot everybody's tiny in the frame it's very stage play where right. characters are moving across up the top of the screen where another character is below uh using the two levels it's beautiful work um mm-hmm. 
I was like, ooh, uh, I love when camera works something that makes me go, ooh. Right. Uh, and it does. Uh, it did. Um, although it's, and it's something I've read online, nobody can answer this question, why she goes up to the Marston house in the first place. Right. Uh, she goes not, she goes to the, to the rooming house. She goes and looks at Ben's work. Mm-hmm. And then she drives up to the Marsden house. Uh, well, you know, she figures that he's already obsessed with it. You know, might as well check there for him, I guess. <laughs> he just keeps we, going there for no reason anyways. But she's accepted vampires exist and we're right. living in the Marsden house. But she goes up there to look at Yeah, it. that's true. Yeah. And then she follows uh, Mark Petrie into the house. Right. But I'm like, what was she doing up there in the first place? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but also the, the antique. Last place I'd want to be. Yeah, the antique doorbell on the rooming house made me laugh too. Um, just 1979. You know, right. Turn it. Turn it. Yep. It turns. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, that's science fiction. Uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody knows what that is. Nope. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's good. It, it's um, there's just some fun. It's just one of those fun, goofy shit things that I. Yeah. She, the, the character's doing dumb things for no particular reason. Uh, even right. the doctor and Ben walk into the house and split up. Um, yeah. It's uh, the last thing you want to do. Last thing you want to do. I mean, they're talking about strength and numbers, but they immediately go opposite. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, and in fact, I think Mark probably might have been successful if, uh, if Susan had stopped it. But one last thing I want to do before we do a, a, mm-hmm. a Sorry, Daryl Hannah, is I do want to talk about Bonnie Bedelia in this movie. I think she's actually really good. Um, right. The scenes of her awkward flirting with Ben Mears are charming as hell. Um, yeah. Um, she's a charming character. Um, and, uh, and I think she just does a really big bang up job. I loved um, the way she sort of like shyly is making the first move. Um, right. It, it's very, uh, but then she takes him to their first date's dinner with her folks, which is, which is, yeah, that's so weird. That's really weird. He well, not only that, like he asks her if if she wants to go get dinner. She's like, yes, and like he's like, so there's like almost like there's like a possibility that he's like, okay, can your parents cook? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Listen, honey, I'm strapped for cash. Uh, All right, we're not going to the diner. All right, yeah, so we can't go to the diner. Uh, we, uh, how about your how about your parents' place for dinner? Yeah, uh, all your parents tell them to make a brisket, and yeah. uh, I'll come yeah. over. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, tell them don't to skimp get some lobster um, <laughs> right yeah and they i love uh they, the name dropping of portland uh, anytime somebody names drop portland i'm always happy right. custom house wharf is a real place i've been there ah. um it's right there in portland it's the, right it's the main uh working waterfront uh area um and uh so when they're like oh yeah you go down to custom house wharf and i'm like hey that's right. a real place um, although the, this movie is supposed to take place in Cumberland County, Cumberland County does not look like that. But nah. well, uh, it's shot in California, so I mean, what do you in Southern California? There's yeah, a, there's a mountain in the distance. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> not, 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 not exactly. No, not in Cumberland County. Uh, Cumberland County is where Portland is. It's uh, right. Uh, it, there's hills, but there's no mountains. Mountains are mountains are either further west or uh, north. Right, Maine has them. Uh, the White Mountains go into Maine, but um, not much, barely. But no. there are mountains up in northern Maine, 
my uncle actually used to own one. Uh, it's now they sold it off. It used to be called Mount Moxie after uh, the Moxie soda because my grandfather uh, loved Moxie ah. when he died. My, my adopted grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, my, my grandmother's second husband, loved Moxie. So when he died, uh, uh, they named, uh, <clears throat> named Mount Moxie after for in his name. And then I think he sold all the land. Now it's called Brower, but because um, you can just change the name, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. By the by, the land you can just change the name. But but anyway, that's uh, that's those are my last my last two things. But before we, uh, okay. so we don't get any sorrow. Sorry, Daryl Hannah's. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. There's just so many good acting jobs in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, it's just I don't know it. It, it misses more than it hits for me. And that's unfortunate because I think this is, you know, the parts that hit are like really great. Yeah. So yeah. I don't I know if you had anything else. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think the movies, I, I think it's a, it's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it just is having a lot of, it has a lot of padding. Um, and it's like thing I had talked about on social media, which was the idea of like, I'm like, this is a movie that kind of proves, um, that you can't just rely on atmosphere or tone. Uh, you kind of need to have stuff happen right? in your horror movie. Uh, and I was talking about that in reference to um, the anti-jump scare concept. And I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, if you don't have any jump scares or scary shit in the movie, you get a padded 1979 <laughs> right. made-for-TV movie. Yeah. Um, like, you kind of have to have stuff happen in your horror right. film or what you have is a lot of characters kind of meandering about talking about things. Yeah. Um, Especially since they didn't have the budget to really, you know, yeah, go after um, what in the book, you know, the third act is when, you know, the vampires are everywhere. everywhere. Uh, and they're just, you know, tearing, tearing shit up. Yeah. The um, aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, they're running around Al Farrell and, you know, and he's about the only person left in town and, you know, they couldn't do anything, any of that with this kind of budget or this kind of, you know, scope in yeah. this. Um, I don't know what the, what the 2004 movie did with that, but. Um, it did. Yeah. So it, it loses a lot of, a lot of the punch because of that. Yeah. Yeah. The 2004 version mostly loses, uh, loses steam because it's just not that good. Right. Um, everybody's everybody's pretty committed but it doesn't really work there's a lot of cgi um and made for tv cgi which is the worst kind of CGI. yeah um but uh, like we talked about with we talked about with some other king miniseries that one of the mm. one of the things that often lets down king miniseries is we cgi'd it and it's bad <laughs> right bad CGI. like you know the shine mick garris's the shining is near perfect except for those right. Terrible, CGI. Terrible CGI bits. Um, so that's kind of what goes on with the 2004 version. It's just sort of they try to be a little bit more uh, faithful to the book and some ways succeed. Otherwise, right. I think they, they kill off. I think Ben Mears dies at the end of the, of the 2004 film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Callahan becomes an actual vampire. Uh, but other than that, I think everybody else kind of ends the same way. Um, I think, yeah, I think Mark Petrie is the only one that gets out alive. Oh, okay. The kid gets out right but uh but it doesn't have what 2004 does not have is toby hooper right and um and toby hooper's instincts and toby hooper's abilities with uh 
making some stuff scary without being too explicit is this right. film's best weapon, I think. Oh, for sure. Got some great sure. scenes of like, you know, Ralphie Glick at the window. That yep. stuff works because Hooper's sensibilities are so strong. Um, uh, but like, and like you said, I think we have some really great performances by some really great character actors. Um, uh, I did want to bring up uh, Alicia Cook, Alicia Cook, Elijah Cook Jr. Uh, right. as the town drunk, another great character actor who just vanishes from the picture. I don't know where. Right. Uh, uh, they make up a big deal that he's kind of watching. Right. Uh, but then he's gone. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's another great character actor role. Um, he, of course, was in um, uh, uh, as um, Pritchard in um, House on a Hill, mm -hmm. uh, the, the leprechaun guy. One, right. more, one more riff tracks. Uh, one more track. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's another great, uh, another great performance. But yeah, there's a lot of great character actors doing some really great understated work. Uh, right. The landlady's great. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of that going on that makes things really strong, but it's just, it's paced so poorly. It meanders about between right. plot point to plot point, um, has plot points that don't go anywhere. Uh, it's one of those things where I think that it was like, we needed to make some more choices here. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Um, I think it's let down by the miniseries format. I think that's uh, I think yeah, that's and big. just the budgetary, you know, thing. Yeah. I mean, it's there's only so much that you know even Toby Hooper can do, you know, with you yeah. know the format he's given. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's worth checking out. It's on Tubi right now. Yep, um, uh, which is where I watched it um, in its complete three hour glory. Um, and uh, but yeah. Uh, I guess that about wraps us up. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, okay. You know, check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah. If you're like a a Gen X person or a really you know old millennial, like like you probably have memories of this film freaking you out um, as a kid. Yeah, and it, it still likely will in yeah places. Um, yep. But it is padded all to hell, and uh, just be ready for that. Yeah, you got to be ready. Like you you're know, watching a miniseries from yeah, the seventies. Yeah, drink some coffee. Um, yeah. it, it definitely slows down. But um, with that, we'll say uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, um, we remind you to keep it positive, keep it constructive. Um, love yourself, love your fellow horror fans. Um, stay, uh, stay safe, and stay alert. Um, obviously the uh, news of the week has been uh, very, very terrible. Yeah, very hard stuff. Um, and it seems like every week there's another horrible, horrible, horrible story mm. in the news. Um, but hopefully, like we said at the beginning, um, if you are a horror fan and, you, and you're, uh, which obviously you are if you listen to a horror podcast, but, um, you know, there is still uh, some catharsis to be had with, yeah. uh, with, with horror pictures in general. Um, and it's okay to do that. Um, I'm, I'm telling you that you don't, I I've talked to a couple of people who feel weird about talking about movies like on Twitter, right. Uh, given the news, uh, I'm like, look, it's okay to take refuge. Um, I think yeah. in, uh, in fiction, um, you know, uh, you don't have to worry about respecting the rest of the world all the time. Uh, you can take a moment for yourself and horror is perfect for that. I think. Right. So uh, speech over. I'm not going to do a speech. 
Um, but so, uh, so we say thank you very much. Good night and namaste. Thank you.